everyone. Jonathan Walsh here. Welcome to round 16 of Don the Stat. Uh, Swans again this week, Fumi. Um, as always, mate, welcome to you. Thanks for having me. I know there's a, there's a bit of a bit of a down after the previous week's effort from the, sorry, a bit of a down on the Saints game with, with the West Coast result. But I think that there's, there's still a lot of positives to come out of that. And I think we're going to go into a bit of, bit of that because I think it's been a bit of uh, there's been a bit of down in the in the fan community after the West Coast game, but I think if we we go into it a bit more detail, there's there's a lot we can take out of that. Yeah, absolutely, and more importantly, mate, school holidays. So how you've been enjoying the time off? A couple of zoo visits and the like, I've seen. Yeah, went to uh, Fairy Park in Anarchy. I don't know if anyone remembers that from their childhood, but uh, Kieran, my son, he's he's two and a half, and he he loved it, just pressing the buttons and seeing everything move. So. Can't recommend that enough if you've got really young children. Um, and I spent today putting together IKEA furniture. So you know, I think I feel more like a man when I when I accomplished a bit, a few of that. So yeah, that's been my. I'd, um, I'd rather watch the replay of the last time we played Sydney than uh, have to put together flat pack, mate. So I um, I don't envy you there at all. No, well, I, yeah, I think that would be a bit of uh, a bit of torture having to watch that game again. And hope, but hopefully the players have have watched that and learned from that, and we can talk about some of the things that they can build on, and they've been building on from that point uh, since that game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, should we kick off with a bit of a review of West Coast? Yeah, and I think we'll spend a bit of time on this. We don't, you know, we don't normally spend a lot of time on losses, but I think there's a lot to come out of this and sort of examining what what went wrong in that game. But so as always, we'll go through our, our points from the previous game. So our first key takeaway or the first thing that we wanted to happen was to take advantage of, of the ruck situation and, and Draper being the most experienced ruck and, the, and probably the most talented ruck out there and having Brian as support. Well, at the end of the day, the rucks were basically a non-factor in the game. So between the four of them, they had proposals and there was only one mark. Uh, my, my view is that the quicker game style and there was a lack of real long kicking down the line. West Coast were really patient uh, in moving the ball around. So the, our rucks in particular couldn't get involved that way. Uh, and probably the biggest disappointment there is, is Draper. So I think we brought up in the last couple of weeks how impressive Draper had been, particularly with his contested marking. To go back to, to no marks was, was a disappointment there. Um, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think that's right, mate. The, the, it was the part of the, the game where uh, I think we were we thought we could get the, the biggest upside, but we were also the most nervous. Draper's getting a little, Sammy Draper's getting a little, having a little bit of a habit of of probably saving his worst football for when he's up against inexperienced guys. I mean, he's inexperienced himself, but um, up against guys that, on paper at least, you would think he would have a bit of a day out on. And I think. Uh, yeah, the uh, Brian and Draper are quite similar um, styles of ruckman, I reckon. So they probably do each it probably does each other a little bit of a disservice by um, by minimising their time in the middle of the ground. So yeah, it, it clearly didn't work. And I mean, we'll touch on selection in a, in a moment, but we've gone back to one ruckman, and I think that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it w- it might it might have worked if Draper. Uh, was taking those marks and being that forward threat that he had been previously, but he didn't show that this game. Uh, moving on, the next point was to was to sorry was to have fast exit. So we one of the signs from the Saint game was the ability to exit the back uh, back fifty fast. So we had obviously McGrath, Hind, Redmond, uh, D'Ambrosio down there, 
Uh, McGraw obviously went out this week. Uh, we did suggest that Merrick go back, but it didn't seem that that, that played out that way. Uh, we seemed to be able to move the ball okay. West Coast didn't seem to be able to restrict us as other teams had. It, it seemed that the problem was more at the other end of the ground for us in terms of conversion as opposed to not being able to move the ball out of our, our, forward, our back line. Yeah, I, there's been a lot of focus again on our on our defensive structures this week, but I think both teams really fell apart, um, and and we were, uh, you know, we were able to exit the ball as, as efficiently as they were. I think we'll, we'll talk on it shortly, but our our bigger challenge was getting the ball inside fifty into into areas where we could hit the scoreboard. Um, whereas when they were able to come forward with their you know, their potent forward line and it's the one part of their ground that they've got the band back together and, you know, they've got, I think they had five premiership forwards running around down there. So um, when they got it in there, they were able to do more damage than than ours. So, you know, despite not having Merritt back there and, and having McGrath out, I think it was still, it was still okay. We, uh, we did all right. We just weren't able to convert our opportunities. Yeah. I think next on, on the agenda, but then, came to that forward press and to be able to pressure their, their kick mark and get repeat entries. And I don't think it was, I don't necessarily think it was the worst. There were a few examples where our press uh, worked quite well and West Coast had to be quite patient to break it down. There's one, I think it was in the third quarter where they had to go back across the ground uh, two, on, two or three times before they could break the press down, which again, wasn't happening at the start of the year. So again, that's a sign that the press is, is developing and, and working there. Uh, but they they really took control of the game in the end. They had 114 marks, which was 17 above their season average, and it's the sort of thing that they were producing in their best years, in their premiership years, where they controlled the ball, controlled the air with with the short kicking and and sort of picked apart other teams' zones. And the thing there that probably we not, neither of us expected, and doesn't seem that the that the coaches expected, was the use of Yo as that as a halfback distributor. He he had a day out in, in that role. He had 585 metres gain and, and six intercepts. So Hearn, Hearn wasn't as influential. And I think that's just a sign that he's sort of getting more towards the end of his career. Uh, but Yo really stepped up and, and played a key role in that. Yeah, well, on top of the um, the five premiership forwards that they had running around, they also had yeah, Yo, uh, Yo down back. They had Hearn down back. They had Duggan down back. Uh, Barass, one other that um, I'm missing, but yeah, Barass, that's the one. Thanks, mate. Um, down back, albeit you know Peter Wright managed to kick four goals four on him. So um, you know they did have um, experience in parts of the ground where we had inexperience. Um, so yeah, I think there were good moments where the forward press worked. Uh, it certainly worked really well in the first quarter uh, where we. You know, arguably should have probably been six goals up at, at quarter time, and and there were moments where we could slow the ball down, but um, but yeah, there were obviously times where West Coast were patient and 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 took risks as well. I, I don't think they did it. It wasn't always easy for them. They just they took calculated risks and and got away with it um, enough times to to obviously kick a winning score. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to the actions of their forwards. And you mentioned that they had five premiership forwards back. You, we highlighted the small forwards, but in the end it was probably all, all their forwards had a bit of a, a day out or one of their better days this year. But we, we highlighted the need to uh, stop their, their small forwards in Ryan Rioli and, and Petrocelli. Uh, but we didn't bring up Cripps and between Cripps Rioli and Ryan, they kicked 
eight goals. When you add Kennedy and Darling kicking seven between them, again, you know, they, they're going to get quite an advantage from that. And their small forwards are very smart. They knew when to when to peel off and push forward. And there were numerous occasions where, you know, they got the intercept and, and Rioli and Ryan were, you know, 20, 30 metres ahead of their opponent in the forward line. And, you know, against against a team like Essendon at the moment where, you know, the the you can't always guarantee that they're going to be delivering the well the ball well into their own forward line. You probably can afford to cheat a bit that way because you know you're going to get opportunities to to kick goals and and it, that's how it played out for them on fr- last Friday night. Yeah, I think also more to the point. Well, not necessarily more to the point, but to extend on that, um, they're dangerous guys to leave alone. So you know, dropping off or or pushing um, forward on um, you know. It, <laughs> on Rioli or Ryan or Kennedy or these guys is just um, is really, really difficult to do. And, and we're not playing with, uh, uh, you know, we're not developed enough or advanced enough to be able to to do that. So, um, you know, we got caught out a few times. Um, but, yeah, more often than not, they were just able to stretch the ground and, and make it longer and make it harder for us to fill space and, and put pressure on through the midfield. Uh, and I think the other thing too was that, our kids, apart from Martin, who had a good game, kicked um, kicked two goals and had 20 disposals. And I think Coldwell was pretty quiet for a lot of the game, but finished it off really strongly. Our young guys were all down on what they were the week before. So I think we, you know, when we were on last week, we were talking about how a lot of them had, you know, career to date best games. But, you know, Perkins only had the 10 disposals. Hobbs only had 12. D'Ambrosio, you know, was still pretty effective and, and um, used the ball really well, but was down on impact on the previous week and Durham only had 11. Uh, Jones really until late in the last quarter and good on him to continue battling on and, and kick two goals late. Um, had no impact and, and Brian and Draper, as you mentioned. So I think, yeah, big, um, I guess, deficit in our younger brigade on the week before. And that's the thing with young players, isn't it? We, you're going to have higher peaks and troughs with them than you are. Um, you know, when we add another 30 or 40 games experience to those guys. And, um, and yeah, if you look at most of the key areas, we won them. Clearances were plus six, contested ball were plus six, uncontested ball we were plus 16, plus 16 for inside 50s, one percenters were up by 12. Uh, tackles both around the ground and inside 50 were plus two. But I think the big difference really was where we had our shots from compared to West Coast and um, you've, uh, looked at the data there, mate, to to pull a couple of things out. Yeah, and I just want to highlight uh, the Twitter account AFL X Score. Uh, if you they they are doing a really good job at tracking where where shots are from, and, and they've got really good data in terms of what that means for uh, what that means for likely score. So you may have seen uh, online places, you know, expected score versus real score. You know, in terms of how that the difficulty of the shots that a team is getting, and so. The other day we had the same amount of shots as as West Coast, but if you look at those those figures, and I'll I'll add those figures to the to the Twitter feed after we post the podcast links, uh, you can sort you can get an impression about the difference between the two sides. And Essendon in particular, you know, was taking a lot more shots from outside forty. And I think once you get outside forty, uh, other than other than shots close to the boundary inside thirty, that's when you're starting to get into the more difficult area. A lot more can go wrong from where you kick the ball to, to where it goes past the goal line. And so if you compare, for example, uh, our where we 
kicked our goals or where we took our shots from in the West Coast game versus the Saints game. So, for example, in the West Coast game, we only had seven shots inside 30 metres. So inside a zone where you would consider it more, far more than likely that you would kick the goal uh, as opposed to having 15 shots outside 40. That's against the West Coast. And then if you look at the Saints game, we had 13 shots inside 30. So we had double, basically double the shots inside 30 as opposed to the West Coast game and only 12 shots outside 40. So we had a lot higher percentage shots, a lot more higher percentage shots in the Saints game as opposed to the West Coast game. And a lot of that, a lot of that comes down to obviously what the opposition is doing and, and how they're defending the ground. If you're able to distribute inside 50 from, you know, from about 60 metres out, not only can you get it deeper, but you know, you create more uncertainty for the, for the defense. If you're, if you're delivering the ball inside 50 from 60 meters, the, the, the opposition has to defend not only the goal square, but they have to defend everything in the 50 meters as well. So, you know, players, players who would be coming off their man may not be able to do so because they, they don't have a clear idea about where the ball's going to go. But if you're trying to deliver the ball from 80, 80 meters out into the 50 becomes a lot, it becomes a lot easier for opposition to predict where the ball's going, cut that off, or you know, allow for those longer shots that may not be as successful. So I guess the question the question has to be, you know, we're actually doing a really good job at the moment of creating scoring opportunities, but how do we then create more high impact scoring opportunities and, and how do we how do we find positions in the forward fifty where it's more likely that the players are going to kick it? And I mean even even if you look at uh, you know Peter, Peter Wright probably missed two shots that he kicks elite, elite of the four of the four behinds he kicked elite two of the two of those are least things that he would kick nine times out of ten. So you know that that could easily just be the difference in the game there. Yeah, I think we also missed two shots completely from you know with inside um, you know sort of fifteen meters, didn't we? And they had I think they kicked four goals from the goal square basically. So um, yeah, a bit of a bit of a difference there. I, I think the other thing comparing the St Kilda game to the West Coast game was we, we weren't able to get quite as fast ball movement, which means we didn't quite have our forward spreading, which means we did do a good job of lowering our eyes and hitting up targets. But what that meant was that those targets were having to come up to, you know, 40 metres plus outside of, uh, from goal to in order to, to spot them up rather than, you know, in the previous game where we had a bit more space, zero to 30. So um, some work to do there, but, you know, what I, I think Jones, Stringer and, and Wright, and, you know, we've looked a lot, a lot better as though when those three have been playing together, they played 10 games of footy as a trio. So there are three main avenues to goal and, um, and, you know, they're still learning to play with one another. Um, you know, add to the fact that we don't have a genuine, coming forward down there either to create havoc and create opportunities um, as per West Coast. Um, yeah, that there's there's obviously some work to do. Yeah. And I think another thing that was highlighted sort of in me after the round was uh, a, a bit of a clip about Jake Stringer and uh, his, his efforts in terms of, uh, in terms of maintaining the press. And uh, many of you probably already seen in the game will link it uh, below the pod link, so you can you can check it out. But it's just a moment where he passes. He he doesn't follow his his man that he's following in the press, and he tries to pass it on to I think it's uh, Perkins. Sorry, he tries tries to pass it on there. Uh, that doesn't happen because the the switch is too slow, or Perkins isn't in the right position, and that allows a West Coast player to get free in the press, and then that allows them to move the ball quite easily through the center. 
through the center square for a shot on goal. What were your, yeah. so I think he, he copped a lot of criticism there. And, and, you know, there was a couple of weeks ago where Rutten called him out for his efforts. And I think there was even suggestions on uh, other shows of footy classified. I think that, you know, his management wasn't necessarily happy with that. What were your, what was your take on how, uh, I think it was Lee Montagna uh, saw that piece of play. Yeah, it was him and David King. I, I haven't seen, um, I didn't see the show, so I've only seen the clip that's been shared on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, so I think in, in what's, in what they showed on or, or the clip that I saw, I think it's fair. So, so Stringer uh, is responsible for Yo. Um, the ball comes back into the corridor and uh, Perkins comes up to, I can't remember the West Coast player that took the mark, but comes up to spoil and, and ends up losing his feet in that contest. Uh, not that he did anything wrong. He, he, he tried to, to create the spoil and, and wasn't able to. And, and Stringer pointed to Perkins to hand over to Yo. So, Stringer could take the mark and not have to go and chase. And, and in doing that, it created an overlap. Um, Hobbs was then stuck in that awful position. Uh, you know, unlike the uh, first goal we kicked last week where um, McGrath's got the closing speed to be able to come and close, Hobbs just isn't that player. And he got caught out and they were able to overlap, get the ball inside 50. And I think Liam Ryan ended up taking a mark, kicking the goal. So I think it's fair to, to criticise Stringer for that. But I think if you're going to do it, you should... Um, also provide full context and um, you know I'm not not entirely sure whether the objective there was to criticise Jake Stringer or to criticise Essendon or both but if you because uh, I think Essendon's inability to defend and um, and end-to-end goals is a bit of a thing now that the media like to just hound us on but what did happen in that bit of play was that we we forced them to switch really slowly, you know, time and time again. They went back and forth across the ground three times before they were able to get back into the corridor. And in that, Stringer had six or seven sprint efforts to to close down space and, and to keep the the slow go on West Coast. So, you know, that little bit of balance in the conversation would have been nice. And we also nearly turned it over twice. There was the Perkins one, but even before that, um, Snelling very, very, very nearly got a spoil in and, um, and, and caused a spill as well. So I think, yeah, not great on Stringer, but if he, if it had been that in isolation without the six or seven sprint efforts before it, I think it, it would have been even more damning. It'd just been nice to get a little bit of balance in the way um, some of these things get reported, I think. Yeah. yeah. And would that, so based on, based on your past career as an, an, an analyst, what, would that would that be brought up with Jake? You know, they go, look, you, you put in six or seven efforts. You know, this one, you, you know, is that is that something that you think gets brought up, or do you think they well, would focus mainly on the um, mainly on the one that didn't didn't come off? No, I think you would. I, I think you would highlight the the positive and the negative in the play. So I think you know there was a lot that went right, but I think it just shows what we've been talking about since. Uh, you know, early on in the season, doesn't it? That it just takes one or two things to to not quite go your way, or one or two players to just drop off a little bit, and um, and and you get opened up. So, you know, did did Stringer make the wrong decision in handing over to Perkins when he was on on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, do we expect Stringer to run out and run a marathon tomorrow? Probably not either. You got to, you know, everyone's got a limitation to what they can do, and then. I think the other one that coaches probably would have talked to Ben Hopps about in his review is to 
to understand whether in that situation he might have been better off rolling back rather than trying to close the space because again he's you know he's not Andrew McGrath he doesn't have that um, that sprint speed off the mark and, and that closing speed so um, yeah I think I, I think they would highlight it and they would talk about it I'm not sure they'd talk about it the way they did on the first crack though. I think the other thing that West Coast did really well was they restricted our game and, and they they did their homework on what we on what we did the way before. So they really went to town on our halfbacks and tried to restrict their impact. I think credit to Mason Redmond, he was the one that was was still able to to buck the trend there and and um, and have a an impact on the game. Um, I touched on this before they. They kept their forwards really deep and they made the ground big, which meant that it made it really hard for us to um, to sort of fill space and to, to slow them down. So, um, yeah, it created a lot of more overlap opportunities there. Um, they, they really emptied out the corridor so they could use it. So they, you know, they did go side to side as a way of getting around and spreading the press, which I think is also a bit of recognition that the press that we've put in place and over the last sort of four or five weeks has got a lot better and, and is working um, in a much improved manner. Um, and then, yeah, as, as we've talked about, they were able to get um, much easier inside 50 or not easier inside 50s, but much better looks inside 50 when they were um, – when they were kicking at goal. So, um, so yeah, I, I think all in all, it wasn't a doom and gloom performance, but one where, um, uh, you know, a little bit of polish and a little bit of extra class and we probably should have um, got the win. I think, I think one of the things that uh, people often do is forget that the other team has agency as well. I think sometimes people think, oh, you've just got to go up, play your style, you know, combat what you think the opposition's going to do and you'll be successful. But, you know, you're coming up against a premiership coach. You're coming up against an experienced side that's playing in their home conditions. You know, they're going to, they're going to try and challenge you. And as you, as you were pointing out there, they, they played a game style that allowed them the best chance of success and they got that success. So, you know, our, our key thing is to, Firstly, remember that as you know, West Coast may have been last on the ladder, but that's not a, a last place site that they put out on the park. And you know, we're, the the gap between our best and our worst is is still closing. But that doesn't mean that we're always going to be successful, even against sides that I think a lot of people thought we should be. No, absolutely. And you know, you you tweeted post match um, about the the difference in experience. I think you know we we had we were the second least experienced team in the competition, which we are most weeks. Crows are um, most weeks are the least experienced, and we tend to be number two. Um, but West Coast had you know on average, I think it was fifty six more games experience per player, so more than um, more than two seasons of additional experience per player compared to us, and and that's not excuses. Um, you know, I would have expected we should have been good enough and, and classy, uh, classy enough to win that game, and we weren't, and that's disappointing. But um, but experience isn't something that comes easy or quickly, um, and West Coast had a lot more out of it, a lot more of it out there than we did, and I think in the end it was their experience at the two ends of the ground um, to create space in their forward line and to close space in our back line um, sorry, close space in their back line in our forward line that um, that ultimately was the difference in the game, you know, causing the situation where they had 
shots inside 30 and we didn't, I think. And, um, and yeah, hopefully we, um, we can adjust and learn from that and, and be better for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to move on from the West Coast game, but we're going to, there's a quite, we've got quite an extensive in the news section this week because once again, Essendon, uh, is, they do like to talk about Essendon, especially when you're down, there's often a lot to talk about. And the first thing we're going to bring up is uh, Lloyd and, and Brendan Goddard's sort of push for the club to approach Alistair Clarks. And when you're, when you're struggling and, you, you know, for a lot of people, you don't see signs of improvement. The first person that comes under challenge is the coach. And then obviously when you've got a highly credentialed coach out there that, that seemingly wants to coach again, there's that sort of mad rush to, to try and get them before another team gets them. Obviously GWS is looking for a coach and there may be other clubs that are looking for, looking for a coaches. You know, some people don't want to miss out on what could, what could be, you know, that, that sort of option. So, I mean, is this just a thought bubble that the, that the media is putting out there to, you know, generate clicks and, and engagement, or is it something that should be taken seriously? Oh, I never take much of what's reported in the media seriously, mate. Um, but I think you would be negligent as a club if you didn't at least speak to Alistair Clarkson and see what he wanted to do next season in some capacity. Um, uh, you know, it, it might not necessarily be senior coach, um, although it does sound like he, he's, you know, he wants to get back into that game. Um, uh yeah, he he's been there, done that, and, and won four flags. So obviously, um, that level of experience would be pretty uh, pretty beneficial to any club. But um, I, if you think back to how we went about building that premiership list at Hawthorne, he his mo wasn't far away from what Rutten has done at the over the last couple of years, really, or well, not not Rutten on his own, but our club has done over the last couple of years, and. You know, he he culled a lot of the dead wood. He culled a lot of the the senior experienced guys that, you know, where we had young guys coming through. So, you know, we got rid of Hooker so we can get more games into Wright and Jones. You know, we we got rid of Zarakis so we can get games into Durham and the like. Um, you know, that was kind of the way Clarkson went about it and, and Hawthorne went backwards before they went forward. So, um, you kind of wonder whether he would do things all that much differently and, uh, you know, we might have been more competitive in some games, particularly earlier this season, if he was our coach this year. But I'm not sure we would have won all that many more. Um, uh, anyway, but yeah, I think look, <laughs> I'm I'm just going to keep going to the footy at the moment and and try and enjoy watching these young players run around and not get too caught up in um, in whether or not Alex the Clarkson is going to coach our club next year. Um, you you also made some interesting points made about the soft cap too and and how that might play into it. Yeah, I mean, well, the, f- the first thing is if if, if suddenly they, they switch course this year and, and sack Rutten and get Clarkson, I think there needs to be a clear out at, at board level and the, the CEO. because they've all, they've all hitched their wagon to, to Rutten and then if they decide to change course, I don't think their positions are tenable. But that's a question for, that's a question for the membership and if they can be organised enough to, to force that. But... I think the other thing to remember with, with Alistair Clarkson, and if you, you go out and get Alistair Clarkson, you're probably going to be paying him close to seven. I would, I would say you, to get him to coach again and, and come to your club, you'd be looking at paying almost seven figures. And when you have such a, a low soft cap for, for spending in, in that area, when you, when you go and get that, what you'll end up missing out on is 
you might miss out on one or two good assistant co- high level assistant coaches or uh, high performance specialists or uh, you know physio, physio or analyst level. So you might miss out on a couple of those roles that would help a club, or you might be capped in terms of what what level of experience or quality you can get in those roles. You might have to settle for lesser lesser people in in those roles. And how how impactful is is one person? On that, it's not it's not 1982 when Sheedy can come in and run run the whole run the whole club himself. It's a high performance it's a high performance uh, game where you need a whole range of different cogs working well to to be successful. And you know, I I could be proven wrong, and Clarkson come in and, and and you know through strength of his own will and his coaching brilliance could could turn the club around and and win a premiership. But I think you need you need that support around them. And if you go and get Clarkson, you're basically spending, you know, 15% of the soft cap on one man. Is that, is that an effective way to run a club? Yeah, I, I think it's a moot point anyway, mate, because I think, as you say, um, the only way that this could happen is if there was, if the CEO and the president admitted that they had the wrong man in the job. And I, I don't know whether they're going to do that. Um, I, I don't expect they would, and, and that could only happen if they if they two left. And given we've just re-signed the CEO for two years, and and he's got the full support of our um, of the president and the board, I, I think it's just it's it's kind of a futile discussion. I, I just can't see it happening. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the other the other big news article that came out about Essendon was from from Cal Toomey at AFL.com and. He, he was pretty scathing in terms of Essendon's de- defense and, and defensive pressure, and basically came out and said it was the lowest numbers since records had began in terms of in terms of the defense. I think it was for lowest record for Essendon since they started keeping it in 2010, and that's across the whole year. And so, obviously, that that's you know, a really poor reflection on on how the club has gone this year, and you know that's been used as as a stick to beat beat Rutten and his game style. But if you dig Deeper, and you've done a fair bit of uh, data analysis over today. Um, put together a pretty impressive spreadsheet uh, uh, in putting putting that together, and, and sort of digging down into what what's happened. And you've particularly gone back and focused on the Swans game and what's happened since then, because I think we can all agree that the Swans game is probably the worst performance of the. I mean, Geelong was pretty bad, but I think we can all say that the Swans was the lowest point of the season. What's changed since then? Yeah, well, I, I think you know people are sort of rightly asking the the question: Have we improved? Or, or um, I think one comment was: When will the penny drop? And I I really think that 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 Swans game was a bit of a, a line in the sand, and and I think we can use that as a reference point as a bit of a before and after. Um, albeit it's only been what five games since then, so it's a it's a smaller data size. But I do think that we've we've defended better since then our effort has been at a an acceptable level we've still made a lot of mistakes we've still you know made mistakes that have coughed up goals um you know we we've turned the ball over in in unfortunate situations and and you know there's a lot of work in progress to do but i think if you look at what um if we take the the nine games up to and including that swans game and then the uh, round 10 onwards we're conceding 21 points less per game so you know we've we started to to stem the flow of um, of of scores, so I think it's important when you're looking at at those numbers that Cal put together that 
um, it is a bit of a tale of two stories. So we've gone from, you know, um, averaging 97 points against in the first nine rounds down to about, uh, down to just below 76. So, you know, you're going to be competitive in most games if you, um, if you can keep the opposition to a, a score of around about 75 or 76 points per game. Um, where conceding nine less inside 50s per game. So I, I do think we've, we've been really good at putting the clamps on teams, creating um, repeat entries, slowing exits from our forward 50. Uh, and, and we're seeing that in, in the, the number of times opponents are going inside 50 against us. Our clearance, centre clearance differential is up by plus five a game. So <clears throat> centre clearances last year was, was a big win for us and something we were really good at. We'd lost our way in that area. But that's that's improved since then. Um, up to round nine, we were up to and including round nine. That is, we were minus ten um, in contested, you know, average contested possessions against. Um, so we, were, yeah, on on average, we were losing contested possessions by ten a game. Since then, we've basically broken even. We're play, plus one, so we're we're getting our hands dirtier at the contest, and we're able to to win our fair share of contested ball. We're up plus 14 tackles per game. We're up five um, tackles inside 50 per game and one percenters are up by by five as well. So I think we, we've we definitely seen an improvement in the way that we defend the ground, the effort and the intensity, pardon me, around the contest. Um, it has hap- um, had a little bit of a sacrifice on scoring. So our, our scores for, pardon me, I'm losing my voice here a little bit, yeah, scoring's down by five points a game in, in that same period, although that's improved over the last couple of weeks as we've got those three forwards together, Stringer, um, Jones, and playing with Wright. So I think I think we'll continue to see improvement in our scoring rate. Um, our inside 50s over that period have improved as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think showing those numbers as full year holes and I, you know, I, I get the point that the season started in round one and not in round 10, but um, yeah, I, I do think that we're seeing some trends that are suggesting that that blue collar, you know, type situation that Ben Rutten signed us up to is starting to happen. And, and we're starting to see the benefit of, of, you know, defending the opposition and restricting them to love scores. Yeah. And I guess, Obviously, coming up against Sydney, it's a really good uh, point. It will be a really good point this week to see the difference between the two games, so the previous Sydney game and, and the Sydney game that we're going to see uh, on Saturday as to whether that improvement is is continuous across the, those six weeks. On to a couple of better points. Uh, the women's program is going just, you know, from strength to strength, obviously. BFLW Grand Final this Sunday at 12.15 at Northport Oval. First, the Southern Saints, who have come from fair way back in the, the finals race. They were fifth going into the finals, and they've managed to have a pretty good run uh, into the into the grand final against Essendon. Uh, so the last time we played the, the Saints, uh, we had a 10-point win, which was one of the closer wins for Essendon this season, given that they were you know, doubling or tripling their opponents' uh, scores each week. Uh and yeah, so the Essendon have gone in undefeated, won their finals by 53 and 67 points. Uh, you know, they've had the week off. Sometimes that's an advantage. You know, you get players rested up. Sometimes that's a disadvantage. See Essendon 1990. Uh, you know, so, you know, but if, given given their form across the, across the year, you would expect them to go in heavy favourites and hopefully 
bring home a bit of silverware for the club, which I think will be a, a positive. And that sort of leads into the AFLW draft. Uh, we both admit that we're not, you know, 100% across what's happening in the AFL draft or the, AF- the AFLW program at this stage. But, you know, game's really exciting that we're only a couple of months away from seeing Essendon in, the, in that competition. We've both said that that's been one of the things that's sort of, uh, you know, held back our interest in not, not seeing Essendon out there. So seeing, you know, the full list together, they picked up seven players in draft night, including two top 10 picks. And judging on, on sort of the responses to the players that they've picked up in the in the trade period and the, and the selection period, uh, I think there's a lot of positivity around that that side going into the AFLW season. Yeah, it's exciting, mate. Some of the reaction videos last night were um, were pretty awesome. Um, just seeing the, the joy of, um, of a couple of girls getting picked up and, and coming to Essendon. So, yeah, hopefully we can get the W and and um, and bring another trophy back to Windy Hill. Uh, does that mean um, the um, Day since Essendon last one a final it gets to reset. I, I'm not sure whether we can get them on a technicality there, but yeah, um, yeah, I think um, success breeds success, mate. It, it really does. We've seen it in our, um, uh, you know, in, in in the past when our reserves have won premierships and we've been able to then go on and win flags the following year. I think you know, winning, um, yeah. Success brings success. I think it's as simple as that. So yeah. I think it's um, it's great for the people that are involved directly in the VFLW program. But I think it's great for our club. And um, if we can get a, a premiership back to to Windy Hill or to Tullamarine, and um, yeah, I, I think it can have a, a flow-on effect and impact into everything else we do as well. Absolutely, and we'll all be following uh, that game closely on Sunday. And just finally, before we we move on to our audience question, just some really good news from today that Michael Hurley completed his first full training session uh, since his since his hip operation, you know, over almost two years to the day since he's he's had a full training session. So, you know, that's really good signs that hopefully in a couple of weeks he might be ready for a VFL game and then who knows, uh, hopefully we can get him back for an AFL game before the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've missed him, haven't we? Um, how good would it have been to have a fit Michael Hurley on Friday night to play on Kennedy or Darling instead of seeing... Ridley struggle um, undersized. Um, yeah, that's uh, it, just great news. Yeah. So moving on. So we put out an audience question this this week because we weren't sure how much we'd have to talk about given we'd already spoken about Sydney six weeks ago, but we're, here we are 40 minutes into the show. Uh, but we'll go through that quickly. So we asked, uh, given there's only eight weeks left to go, who who is it a big eight weeks for uh, on our list and a lot of people brought up the players that are they're out of contract obviously they're they're playing for their futures some of the ones that, that came up often are matt brown and jasper shalapa brought up francis i've had very positive views towards francis and i've, I've generally given him uh I've, I've generally found the games that he's played to have a lot of positive aspects to it but even i'm getting to the point now where if he's not in the 22 now is he likely to be on the list next year? I, I'm starting to have my I, I have my doubts now. Uh, if he's not in the 22 right now, yeah, I I think um, you know to sort of to skim through them. Yeah, Aaron Francis. I think if he's not playing, you you would have to think question marks should be asked. Um, Alec Waterman um, got a couple of mentions as well. Um, I think yeah, again he he's not in the side. Um, I, I think you you would question whether he'll be there next year. Um, and then James Stewart was brought up a couple of times as well. I, I think whether he stays or not might depend on 
whether or not we're able to get us experience key back um, through free agency or the trade period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, complete hypothetical that someone like Alec Pierce at Alex Pierce, sorry, at, at, at Fremantle's a free agent. You know, if you were in a hypothetical world able to get him, and then you know, James Stewart would pretty quickly become surplus to requirements. But if you weren't, then you know, do you really want to go into a season with sort of three or four skinny kids? Um, as your key defenders, um, plus Laverde, who we're continuing to ask to play on on guys much bigger than him, I'm I'm not too sure um, whether whether you would. So yeah, I think I think he, he yeah he, he's in a bit of a different situation. But yeah. I think the couple for me made a, a that I reckon's a big eight weeks. Well, not in terms of their position on the list, but I agree with with Joe Kennedy who who mentioned Andrew McGrath and and, and the opportunity to see what he can do as a as a halfback. Um, and I think the other one is Archie Perkins, the midfielder. I think, it, you know, there's been a real change in how he's being used and he's getting a lot more midfield minutes. So I think if that trend continues, we we get to see him. And Caldwell, I think, is the other one who's, who's upping his midfield time as well. So I think those two um, playing together in the midfield is, is really um, a great opportunity for, for us to develop our... Our midfield crew, and then I, I think the other one is the relationship between Jones, uh, Wright, and Stringer, and, and if they can play another eight games together, touch wood, I think that helps to to set us up for next year. Um, what about you, mate? How do you see it? Uh, look, I I'm at, I'm at the point now with the the players that are left unsigned, other than other than Andrew McGrath, and all signs suggest that he will be uh, he will be signing. And continuing at the club, I don't have a huge, I don't have a huge wish that you know certain players must stay. Uh, I think there's a lot of players on the on the current list that are unsigned that you know you can make an argument for them to stay, and you can make an argument for them to go. Uh, a lot of them are probably just going to be depth players, or you know, like a I think we were talking about uh, McDonough on Twitter today with, with someone bringing up whether or not he was on a one or two year contract. You see someone that, you know, you brought him in to make an immediate impact. Even if he is on a two year contract, do you do you cut your losses and, and, and take that take that spot for someone else? You know, you cut that cut that player a year early. Uh, I think Smith potentially is in that conversation as well there. So whether Smith can get back and, and have an impact, you know, may suggest whether they, they keep him on, even though he has signed a two year deal. You know, I think there's a lot up in the air and I think we'll we'll see a lot more play out over the course of the year in that space. But we'll move on because we've actually got a game to talk about this week in, against Sydney. And the selection was pretty, I, I think it was a pretty, uh, I think there's, there's a bit of, there's a bit of tension about uh, some of the, the, the emission of, of Hobbs this week. Uh, but I think explained pretty well why that's happened. And then Brian's also been admitted and in back in his, his parish after his calf injury. And then Zerk Thatcher uh, comes in, which uh, for a lot of people may be a week late having that that big key back. What were your thoughts on the selection for this this game? Yeah, I, I thought we might look to bring in another tall forward, um, but tall back. That, that's okay. So no, well, no tall forward um, oh, okay. instead of yeah. I mean, Zerk Thatcher picks himself. I, I was sort of saying, uh, thinking outside of the. <clears throat> the changes that we did make. Zerk Thatcher makes sense. I think we need the extra hype back there. And when we showed that last week, it allows us to, to be a little bit more flexible with how we use Ridley. I think that's important. Um, Parrish picks himself and and someone had to go out. And I, I think 
you know, that it's unfortunate that that Hobbs is the one. But he did look pretty flat last week. I know he's been dropped um, rather than than rested. But um, but yeah, I, I I don't have a problem with it. He gets to go back to the VFL and um, and and yeah, play some more midfield minutes and and keep building on his game. So I think. I think that's fine. I think it looked likely that Hobbs would be one that got squeezed out once they brought Snelling back, to be honest, mate. I, I think that was that was really on the cards. I don't think you can play both of them in the same side as that sort of half-forward role. Um, yeah. I think they, they – yeah, having both is a bit surplus. And, <laughs> yeah, we spoke about at the start that you know, Joper, I think, plays his best footy when he's the man in the ruck. So, I think, um, I think Brian – yeah, makes sense. And then the Swans have brought back McInerney, who's a, a really good quality young player. We spoke about him um, as as one to keep an eye on when we, we talked about the, um, the Swans ahead of the round nine game and, and Ryan Clark's made way. So, yeah, um, yeah so they yeah. get a little bit stronger. Yeah, I think just going back to Essendon's selection, just on, on the Hobbs selection, I think the first, first, first point, he didn't have any tackles last week and that's been part of his game so far since he's been in the side. So I think that's a sign that maybe he he was running a bit short of of steam. It is his first year, and he, he has pretty much played ten games straight. You know, he had he had the buy in there, so you know, young players probably do need a break. And we probably got we probably were uh, treated to unusual situation last year when you had young players like Perkins and and Cox playing playing whole seasons because the the BFL side was was a bit of a shambles. But uh, you know, the BFL side's actually won four in a row now. Uh, Hobbs going back and playing there at the moment is probably, a, you know, it's going to be a, a decent learning opportunity for him compared to earlier in the season when he was brought in. So, you know, if he does end up playing in the VFL rather than being the sub in the AFL, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a, going to be bad for his game and it gives him an opportunity to go back and play as that center square midfielder, whereas he wouldn't really be getting that opportunity in the AFL with the players that we've brought in. Yeah, exactly. No, I think you've nailed that man. Spot on. Yeah. Oh, and the other, th- the other thing. Sorry, another, another thought. Uh, having two ruckmen means you can't put Peter Wright into the ruck when he is when he is struggling. So I think last year one of the good things that we could do is we could, if Peter Wright wasn't getting the, getting his hands on the ball, you could put him in the ruck as that second ruckman. He'd get his hands on the ball, and then he could become a threat. So. The, the Western Bulldogs game, the game last year where he kicked seven, you know, he was he was second rucking that game. There were there were times when he would take the ruck and he would run forward and, and get get the mark and, and kick the goal. So I think it's a lot of people don't want to see him play in that position, but I think, you know, maybe not for a whole season, but you know, every once in a while to get him into a game, I think it's it's a really good option. Yeah, I think it's less of an issue too when you got Stringer and Jones in the side, right? When when those two weren't playing, um, you really didn't want to have to sacrifice, um, uh, you know, our entire forward line. Basically, he was he was the the lone man down there, so it it made perfect sense. Um, so yeah, I I don't think um, I don't think we need the two ruckmen when we've got those guys playing, mm. and I, I think we're we're yeah. better balanced without it. And they they've really only got Hickey, don't they? Um, yeah. As their as their main ruck, they they don't really have a genuine second ruck in their team either, do they? Yeah, they. They were playing Laddams there for a while. I think uh, Hickey and Laddams both played against us. And then I think Laddams had his brain fade uh, when yeah. they played Port. And they just had, they haven't, even though he's available now, they haven't brought him back. So I think they're, they're happy with the one ruck there, which means that, you know, Draper's probably not going to get overworked against two ruckmen there. And, and Wright's going to have a better matchup as that second yeah. ruckman that he otherwise would have. 
Yeah. But I mean, it's hard to talk about Sydney. So we were talking about this in the lead up that, you know, what, what can you say about Sydney that we didn't really say, you know, six weeks ago? I mean, they've had quite a hard, they've had quite, had quite a hard draw in the, in the game since then. So they've, they've played Richmond, Melbourne, St Kilda, Carlton and Port. Uh, they beat the first three of those and they lost to the other two. So, uh, you know, they're all top eight quality sides. I mean, Port's, Port's outside the eight, but, you know, since round five, they've probably been a, a top eight form form side. So they've had quite a strong strong period of, of, of games. And then obviously they're coming up against, you know, third from the bottom Essendon. So part of them, partly you could think they could be looking at this as, a, as an easy kill. Um, and then maybe they could also be looking at it as, oh, we can take it a bit easy this week. You know, and maybe we can hopefully get get sneak sneak a win away from them. But I mean, there's only a few points of difference in in those six games. They've they've increased their kick to handball ratio from one point six to one point seven, so it's it's a pretty small change. Uh, but they've been conceding more contested and uncontested possessions. But again, that could be because they are going going up against uh, high quality opposition. So I think in their first nine games, they played uh, West Coast North and Essendon, which may skew their skew their numbers and it's it's moving back to a more realistic uh, situation there. Yeah, they, they've probably suffered a little bit for consistency, haven't they? So they, um, you know, they they had a really good win against the Saints last week, but that was, you know, I, I think we, arguably we softened the Saints up for them and, and they, they caught them on the down. But then they, they had a pretty disappointing loss to Port, who, you know, Port are going better than they were earlier in the season. But, um, you know, that was a pretty comfortable win by Port, albeit over at Adelaide Oval. Um, and then the week before that, they beat the they beat the Demons at the G, um, which was a really good win, um, albeit they got Melbourne when they were sort of on a little bit of a down. Um, so, you know, they've sort of been a little bit inconsistent um, since um, since they played against us last time out. But I think, you know, the, the worry for me is that they're really the, – the strengths to their game are the areas that we're quite weak in. So – um, they've got some really, really good intercept defenders with Tom and Paddy McCartan, um, yeah, doing a great job down there, and, and they're helped by Nick Blakey as well, um, and you know Rampy, probably not the player that he was, but still, um, still uh, playing some good footy um, when he's not climbing goalposts, of course. So I think, um, I think number one here is that our, our forwards really do need to spread. We, we talk about this a fair bit, but if we get caught um, in a situation that, that we were in last week with, um, with Stringer, um, Wright and Jones all sort of playing deep and putting their hand up and expecting a long ball, those guys will chop us up. So we're going to really need Jones and Wright to, to take their turn to get on their bike and, and spread their defenders and, and be dangerous and, and, Jake Stringer needs to do that too. He he needs to lead into angles and, and lead into pockets um, to make sure that um, that yeah we're we're keeping their defenders separated and accountable. Um, the other area that they're really strong where we're where we're vulnerable is they've got some real quality ball users off half back. Um, you know Jake Lloyd's one of those. Blakey, you know for a big tall guy's a, a really great kick of the footy. Um, you know, McInerney can play back there a little bit as well. Rampy's a good kick. So they've got some options to go through there. So I think we just I think we just used Guelphie this week to sit on Lloyd, similar to what I said last week. If you can at least nullify one of them, 
um, give yourself a little bit of a chance. And Jake Lloyd is a bit of a barometer for them, I reckon. When he's up and about and playing well, it tends to to really impact the quality of ball movement they get. Um, I think the the other one is to to win clearances. Um, so Swans are twelfth in the AFL for clearances. They're fourteenth for hitouts. So it's not a part of the ground that they they really do dominate. Um, and you know we haven't been outstanding there either, but we have been getting better. I think Dylan Shields now the number one center clearance player in the AFL. We get Parrish back, who we know is really good in that part of the ground too. Um, so I think. You know, for us to be a chance, that's got to be a big focus, not just to win clearance, but to really make the most of them and, and score from clearance. Um, and I think it's another interesting opportunity for Archie Perkins to to get some centre bounce attendances and and go up against a quality midfielder in Callum Mills and and try and nullify him a little bit at stoppage. So I'd um, yeah, sort of twofold that one for me. You know, win clearances, make the most of it, but also. Yeah, get something out of the game by exposing a young player to, you know, Kellen Mills is, um, is pretty young himself. but So not a tag, but just as we did against Carlton with Cripps, um, give Perkins the opportunity to learn from from someone who's really good at his craft. Yeah. I think just building on something you said with, with Sheil and Parrish there, I think one of the ways that we're going to get better is to make sure that we're getting the most out of both of those players at the centre bounces. That, that may be rotation-wise or that may be, role within the centre bounce, but I think there needs to be a clearer clearer role for each of them at, at each centre bounce uh, rather than both trying to trying to hunt the pill. Because I think sometimes they get in each other's way when they're both there. And obviously the last couple of weeks with Parrish out, uh, Shield's done really well. He's, he's probably been top three players for us in the last couple of weeks. So finding finding a way to get the most out of both of them at the same time, I think is a really important aspect moving forward. Oh, well, yeah, how, how many games would they play together? It, it wouldn't be many, would it? Like, because no. Shield missed most of last year, and then when he did come back late, he didn't really play in the midfield. Um, and then this year, you know, Parrish has missed a couple, Shield missed a couple, so they might have only played, you know, eight or nine games together. So, you know, even though they are experienced guys, it does take time to to learn how to um, how to work together and work off mm-hmm. one another. So, um, so yeah, it, it's a really good point. I, I, I saw people saying, are we better without Darcy Parrish? <laughs> of course we're not. He's, he's one of the premier midfielders in the competition. We just need these guys to, to learn how to work with one another. Absolutely. And our final thought for tonight uh, is based on one of those players. And I think, you know, every, everyone's looking up, everyone's looking forward to seeing what happens in the first couple of minutes with this. But I'll get you to finish this thought, Jono. Uh, your, your Dylan Shield walk up to Luke Parkett before the bounce and you do what? <laughs> yeah. Um, you and I have played a fair bit of cricket together, mate. So if I was Dylan Shield, you know that um, I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth shut and I'd be saying all kinds of things to him. But um, as a as a fan, I, I just like to see him, um, you know, shake his hand or whatever, just just react to whatever Parker does. If, if Parker um, puts his hand out, just acknowledge it. If he doesn't, just get on with it and win the first clearance and um, and and get us going forward. And then I think it's uh, – I'm more interested in how the team responds rather than um, how Dylan Shield responds. Dylan Shield's already responded. He's been our, our best player, I think, or, or if not very close to since that's that Swans game in round nine. So I, I think he's already shown that he's learned from that and he's become better for it. I think it's on – if something happens, it's how does the team respond to to that sort of treatment of a teammate and um, and how do they they get around him and protect him. So, yeah, I'm 
Um, so yeah, to answer your question, just go and win the first clearance, mate. Get the ball inside fifty, um, or or take four bounces and kick a long goal. But um, but yeah, um, I'm I'm more interested in how the team responds, mate. What about you? Yeah, I I agree. I think you know it's no no there shouldn't be any you know Lloyd off the back of the square running through him moments on Saturday. I don't think that does it anyone any favors and that sort of that sort of effort, you know, may may give you ten minutes of a boost, but you know, it, it it's also mentally draining and you know, you, you move away from trying trying to win the game, you know, just get your hands hands first to the ball. You know, if if you're tackling him you make him feel it, but you're not you're not being, you know, outside the acting outside the rules either. So, you know, I think the best the best way we could chart Luke Parker is to defeat Sydney. I think as long as we're all working, as all the all the players are working towards that, then you know it's a chance of of being successful. Yeah, spot on, mate. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Yumi, again for joining and for your work during the week. Thanks to everyone who's listened and put up with our um, collective audio challenges and and me uh, trying not to cough over the top of everybody. Um, but yeah, as always, it's been good fun to put this together and talk about Don's and and hopefully. Um, yeah, we can get out there on Saturday and have a good win and um, and keep moving forward. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Go Dons. Go Dons.